Podcast for America is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer. Go to Stamps.com and sign up for a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes up to $55 in free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter offer code AMERICA. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in New York City. Welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the human feeding frenzy that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Alex Wagner, host of MSNBC's Now with someone named Alex Wagner. With me from our Washington, D.C. studios, our chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, Mark Leibovich, who I hear is wearing a T-shirt with a lobster on it. And Annie Lowry, New York Magazine contributing editor, who I believe is suffering from a summer cold. It's great to hear both of you guys. You haven't heard us yet. Well. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. And welcome I'm trying back. To, I'm trying to open the curtain, open the kimono, <laughs> if you will, on the fact that we had a conversation before this recording we began. Did. Yeah. Don't, don't that is such a gross phrase, though. It is the so gross. It is so open the kimono is so wrong. Nasty. It's just very Mikado era sort of. <laughs> Mikado era. I just, yeah. Anyway, I'll stop. We should, we should change it to something about men, right? Like like peeks through the weird little window and zipping the, the fly. Yeah, exactly. That's oh, a great peeks expression. Peeks through the boxers. I think that's, that's really going to take off. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm I glad that we've started off. with that. Yeah, that's a great way to segue <laughs> okay. into well, tremendous actually, national pride, right? Yeah, <laughs> that actually is a perfect segue. It has been a weekend of tremendous national pride. We celebrated our country's independence. We watched the USA women's soccer team win the World Cup. Respect. And what <laughs> would the 4th of July be without a hefty dose of campaigning? First up, we'll take a look at how Hillary Clinton lassoed the media, literally, and managed her weekend from behind the safety of ropes. Is Hillary on the path to be our next cowgirl-in-chief, or is this actually (laughs) a bad move for the campaign? Next, related to all that, are we, the media, just guilty of making everything about our struggles and our challenges? Just because we didn't have a chance at Hillary this weekend, does that give us the right to whine about it? Are the headlines becoming more of a media therapy session than a reflection of the actual news? And finally, we'll talk about Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, and the posse of GOP hopefuls who promise if we'd only stop and listen for just a moment, they are the honest ones. Pinky swear. So what do they really mean when they say they tell it like it is? All this and a friendly little segment we like to call If I Were in Charge, where we demonstrate how nicely each of us here would manage world domination if you'd just give us the chance. Okay, on to the first topic, Rama. This past weekend, Hillary Clinton marched to New Hampshire's annual 4th of July parade. She was eager to hit the streets to mingle with the people, as long as the people weren't the journalists. The Hillary team actually roped off reporters and didn't let them shake hands even once. Mark, you are doing some work on uh, Hillary Clinton as a subject of, of a potential piece. What are your thoughts on this? I know you tweeted about it. Uh, you know, I tweeted about it and it actually got me in some trouble with my colleagues. Um, mm. So mm. 
intrigue. Right. Well, one of whom was lassoed. I know. By the Clinton I know. Campaign, I probably right? shouldn't have done was that. that. Was that? Was that? Well, here's here's the Maggie? backstory. Well, I think it was Maggie. Maggie yeah. Haberman, my delightful Maggie, Maggie delightful Haberman. my beloved right. colleague. Who actually is America's cowgirl, and he's reporter exactly. for the New York Times. Yes. So the Hillary Clinton was in this parade in up in the mountains of New Hampshire. She was going down the main drag in the town of Gorham. It was an open event. There were all these Benghazi and, you know, Hillary-hating protesters sort of trailing her. And it was sort of a tense scene compared to some of the safe uh, house party-type listening tour things she's been doing. A there parade? Were, a Fourth of July well, parade was more daring? Well, you would... I mean, no, I it was not more daring. That. It was not... Well, it was compared <laughs> to what she was doing. It, it's open. You you get all types. Right. Um, she's in the air. She's the in the air. air. And, and there were a lot of reporters on hand, and they were sort of in the parade, able to stay, sort of walk to backpedal, watching her from a fairly up-close distance, much closer than they usually get to. And a couple of Clinton staff people had the idea to use a big, fat, white rope to keep the reporters at some distance from the candidate, ostensibly to, quote unquote, give her a buffer so that she could meet voters and connect with them. But um, in the process, it created this awful vis- visual of the press being wrangled. So it looked terrible. And of course, the press, you know, we have this defense now, right? We can just photograph it on our iPhones and tweet about it. And that went on all day. Um, opponents took hold of it. It became like a real meme. It was on the cover of a bunch of prominent stories about the festivities that day. It was on the news that night. I do think, though, and this is what I tweeted about, tweeted in response to something Glenn Thrush of Politico tweeted. Listen to us. This is how we talk now. Yeah. Glenn tweeted that never underestimate the Clintons' ability to fritter away a- A commanding natural advantage advantage. with poor judgment. Right. And I tweeted back, never underestimate the press's willingness or ability to make the story about itself. I don't think it's that big a deal. I don't know of anyone who is yeah, going to. But make- I, I want to a- unpack the media thing because I, I think we should get into that as an idea in a second. But just Annie, and as far as Hillary and as far as the campaign, I guess I wonder: Do you think that she can actually can this work in her favor? I'm not sure that it's going to work in her favor. But one way or another, this was just like an awesome visual metaphor for what actually happens. The press does not have easy access to her. It's been how long since she's answered a question or given an on-the-record interview. I would say that that people in Congress are much freer um, and that there are some folks who are running for president who are, who are a lot easier to access. But Hillary Clinton, she's like, she's like worse than Fort Knox, right? Like she just doesn't answer anything unless she wants to. So like the fact that she was kind of cordoning off the press in this sort of like kind of ridiculous fashion of ushering them around with ropes, right? This is just actually what she does all the time. Well, she doesn't need us. She does not no. need the media. She does no, not she need doesn't. the attention. She will get and it no matter what. And she hates journalists, and with good reason. The only analog I could come up with in life was the, the people who get those leashes for their children. Totally. And like, <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about. I totally get why people. you would do that. Like, I see <laughs> yeah. that. I don't have kids, but I'm like, oh, I totally understand that impulse. It looks so bad to yeah. be walking your child around on a leash. Right. But you can but sort I'm, of I'm sympathize. With, I'm with Mark, right? Like, who gives a shit about the optics of this except for other journalists? I'm not sure anybody does. Here's the thing I don't get. Okay, fundamentally, right. People don't like talking to the press yeah. and so forth. Hillary Clinton thus far really hasn't made a substantive like mistake. It's not like I mean Rick Perry. I mean, she man, I would lasso the, the press up. Even. Yeah. 
Well, J-Cat. but I d- the, these are Huge questions J-Cat. she's going to have to fundamentally answer. <laughs> and she's a very articulate, very smart, very thoughtful candidate. Like she's Absolutely. not, this is not Dan Quayle or Rick Perry who could, or George W. Bush, who could legitimately have a terrible foot and mouth problem if asked the right question by the wrong reporter or the right reporter for that matter. And, and I don't understand why they have such a just deep, paranoia about letting her be in the fresh air because i mean but what upside does she have it's not like she is grasping for name recognition at this point it seems clear to me that she's going for this kind of rope-a-dope thing that she's just literally literally let the yes and let the republicans just kind of punch themselves out do you guys when you're talking to like normal people do you we don't talk to i I was gonna say what do we do do no but we're talking to now i've had people say this where they're like oh should i talk to this reporter and i'm virtually always like no don't you know, the, the campaign has said for a number of weeks now that they're going to ramp up the interviews. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure she'll perform fine in them. You know, I mean, they would say that they're trying to sort of ease her into the campaign because she has the luxury of a soft launch, which is essentially what these last... Because it's a new thing for her to be interrogated by well, the press. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just don't think she wants to... I mean, I, I, I do think that the Sanders momentum might be putting a bit of a scare into the them. Burn. Uh, maybe a little bit. I do think, though, that... Do you that think really... Maybe a little bit. If with with respect to Bernie Sanders, and even if Jeb Bush is her challenger, I mean, he released 33 years of tax returns. She is bookended by people who are making a show of transparency and access. And I think that exacerbates what are already the sort of Clintonian impulses towards privacy and obfuscation. Absolutely. Well, she's built a whole extremely successful career on this. I mean, this is not why she lost in 2008, because she was, you know, obfuscating and and not forthcoming about whatever tax returns or any finances. I mean, she lost, you know, for a whole lot of other reasons. But I, I do think that this is the Clinton way. All the, the circles of Michigas around them, it's basically worked for them. I mean, with some exceptions. And and her big thing is that she's just going to outlast everyone. I mean, to me, the real takeaway image from that parade was her just sort of steely smiling through that whole thing. Steely selfieing steely, through well, it all. Well, what's interesting, though, was <laughs> like she was not going to let those three very loud protesters win. She was not going to say anything other than, I love parades. Hi. She was not going to acknowledge them. And it was this, in a way, she sees these things as a test of wits, which I also think is- Or will. A test of something, a test of strength. She will be damned if she will be outlasted by these people. And that's sort of a metaphor for how she approaches campaigns. It's She's just going to grind it out. And it's sort of like the Obama re-election campaign. Yeah, well, right, right. Right, the long game. The joyless enterprise. And I think to this point, the Hillary campaign's been a pretty joyless Which is intense too. for your first, camp- like potentially your inaugural winning campaign to be, for it to be a joyless affair. I, I, do, I do sense in both of your voices something that is our, our really, our, truly our second topic of discussion, which is that the media sort of sounds... In, in this case in particular, and per- perhaps generally, and I implicate myself in this as well, that our feelings have been hurt or that we now have outlets through which to express our bruised sensibilities, you know, whether that's Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. Right. Well, I think part of the reason we don't have the power, though, that leads us to whine on these new platforms is because the campaigns themselves have access to those very platforms, right. which reduces their need to get their message out via us. 
But Annie, do you feel like it further widens the gulf between so-called real America and the elite media? Yeah, well, I mean, step back. Look at the election that she lost, Mark mentioned. You know, it was against an extraordinary campaigner coming in at an extraordinary time. And she's been pretty successful and is pretty well-liked, despite all of the time that she's spent in the national limelight since then. I do think you're right that there is a certain joylessness some joy might come into the picture later on when it's her versus a Republican as opposed to the 15-person Republican goat rodeo that continues to to, <laughs> to go on at the moment. But it is. And, and right now, they're being small C conservative, right? Like, what reason do they have to be anything other than that? I don't think that Bernie Sanders is an actual challenger to her. I think that the biggest risk to her is that she just gets way out there and gets beat up in the press and, and, and gets too far forward. Look, no one thought Obama could win. Certainly yeah. in July 2007, and yeah. certainly no everybody, one thinks Bernie Everybody Sanders now would say that they were they were so sure that that was so clear, well, but it wasn't. Well, it wasn't, but but also, I mean, you know, yeah, Bernie Sanders on paper is, is a terribly unelectable guy. Right. You know, 73 years old, socialist, but that's where a, a lot of the Democratic Party is both very liberal, very you know economic populist, yeah. and extremely anti-Clinton. Right. I mean, and, you know, obviously there's overlap between the three constituencies, but that's a huge part of the Democratic yeah. base, right? Um, so, Mark, how so, much do you think it happens that he might be able to kind of capture public opinion, but might not get, like, any party apparatus or any money behind him? His biggest advantage, I think— He has a lot of money, but small donor money, right? He's got no— $15 million is not something to sneeze at. Yeah, but he also—one good advantage is that he really does have, at this moment at least, the, the Clinton alternative vote to himself. I mean, yeah. no one—I mean, Martin O'Malley's not getting any traction, and yeah. none of the other people are. O'Malley so, meant him. And there's not— another viable sort of place for the anti-Clinton people to go right now. So uh, I'm just going to say, listen, I love a good race. I work at MSNBC. Obviously, I do. But look, I, I think there is a very big difference between Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders. You first think? Of all, I think Bar- they're Barack absolutely Barack Obama's not a socialist, and Bernie Sanders is incredibly... Depends who you as, talk to, Alex. They both yeah, have that exactly. kind of raw and avowed public. So, yeah. Right. I just... I just think that there's a considerable difference. I do also think that Hillary Clinton will be the nominee, but I I think that there is, you know, a glimpse of a chance that he could make real trouble for her in those early primary states and humiliate her in a way that will be not good in terms of, of her, her long-term sort of general election get-out-the-vote strategy. Sure. Well, she's running much farther to the left than she, than she yes. did know. And she yeah. seems to know that. She's yep. trying to bake that into her strategy. Totally. Okay, well, everyone who's listening to this, tell us what you think about ropes, boundaries, and that sort of sounds suggestive. (laughs) Ropes, boundaries, and tough love from political candidates. Tweet us at Pod for America. We'll be back in a moment to talk about the Republican side of things. But first, a word from our sponsor. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like our podcast, Podcast for America. You want to listen to it, so you tap a button, and voila, here we are. So why are you still dealing with your limited hours at the post office when you can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com? Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com is great for your small business. It's a fraction of the cost of a postage meter. Plus, unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Right now, use our promo code AMERICA for this special offer a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer. That includes up to $55 in free postage. 
So go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter America. That's stamps.com, enter code America. We're back, and we don't want to spend all of our precious podcast time on the Democratic race for president, so let us shift the focus to our friends in the grand old party. This week, the candidates for the GOP presidential nomination are harping on and on about the honest truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, Mark, Chris Christie in particular has made this the center of his campaign strategy. We will also probably mention the Donald, who's had some unsavory things to say about the, the land of Mexico and the people it sends over. Is this notion of truth telling, does that matter to the voting electorate? Well, it's a pose. It's a trope. I'm the one who tells the truth. I mean, John McCain did it in 2000. I mean, there's always the room... In, in every field for one or two self-described, you know, giving you the hard truths. And the thing about Chris Christie is he, he is extremely blunt and, and very forthcoming and very, very present when telling you absolutely He's nothing. mean. He's no, totally he mean tells to you people. Absolutely He's kind of a nothing. bully. Of course, yeah. I feel like it's kind of axiomatic that anybody who describes himself as an outsider is truth teller is just like the most insidery, like party totally. politics. <laughs> yeah. As soon as they've described themselves as that, you just know that it's... I hate people like that. Yeah, that yeah. it's like a it's funny, well, total wank fact. Christy was up in Maine this <laughs> week, or late last week. I was up in Maine for the holiday weekend. And Christy was up in, I guess, Augusta or wherever they were to collect the... Endorsement of Paula Page, the wacky, wanky, wank, the really, really crazy right wing governor of Maine. The press conference was just like one after another. Oh, I tell the truth, and Chris is really shy, and oh, I'm the blunt one, and I'm, and it's like, get over yourselves. I mean, like, how about just some nuance here? You can I just say, I, I the only person that I think is actually telling the truth, and I may not agree with his suggestions. On the Republican side of the aisle, I think is Lindsey Graham. Now, uh, granted, I just spent some time with the man interviewing him in around Aspen, and I. I, But I just think even Mm. the things. I mean, the things he says publicly about, hey, you know what? We're not going to win the war against ISIS. We're not going to solve the situation in Syria unless we put American men and women in boots on the ground. I mean, President Obama on Monday came out and gave the most beleaguered, depressing state of the sort of battle against ISIS and said, this is a generational struggle, but we're doing pretty good. And it was like, you are not telling the truth. I mean, the truth is ugly. It's oftentimes the least politically expeditious thing you can deliver. And so almost nobody tells the truth. They only Ever. Tell, they only Under tell, any circumstances. They only tell the truth at Aspen. I think the faster we acknowledge <laughs> that, the, the better off we'll be. What and, beautiful mountain retreat can we find that we can really just No, but, the you know, I, I really agree with you, Mark and Annie, when you, and especially Annie, when you're like, when you hear someone say it, it basically means there's no way they're telling the truth. Right. And I think nobody better embodies that than Ted Cruz, Wait, who, sure. who, right. who this or oh. last week referred in like one soundbite, no fewer than seven times to the Washington cabal. And it's like, hey, dude, you are a sitting U.S. senator. You are maybe one of the people responsible for creating some of the biggest headaches inside the Beltway. You are the Washington cabal. So I think that there's like kind of a bunch of different metrics that we can use to evaluate people. Uh, A metric of purity, like to what extent are you adhering to 
agreed upon Democratic or Republican policy, in which case you have people that are actually somewhat heretic. So like Bernie Sanders or Rand Paul. And then you have hackishness, right? Like to what degree are you willing to bend yourself towards that policy? And the truth is, if that if you are an elected official in Washington, you are virtually always highly bendable, well, right? Well, no, you're not bendable. I mean, there's like this whole breed you of like- You are bendable. Well, you should be bendable because that's usually how politics and compromise and Some people are bendable. Works. Some are not. <laughs> Um, Bendable in the sense of like you're, you're you threatening my metric of, of purity. Compromise. What is what is actually right. politically advantageous, but, but, and then you do that. But there is this That's whole. I mean there is this whole generation of you know you could say demagogic, you could say true believing, you could say politically opportunistic people, usually right. candidates for president, i.e. Ted Cruz, who make their brand on not being bendable, who make their own. Metric right. of purity. This is, I think the name of the segment has to be Metrics of Purity. <laughs> metrics of Purity. name the whole podcast to Metrics of Purity. Um, but no, and look, there's like been a lot of these people, right? I mean, their defense is, well, it's a cabal. I'm the truth teller. Come with me. And I think it's probably good politics within the kind of people who Ted Cruz wants to get to vote for him. I guess that what I more mean is to what degree are you willing to say the thing that you think is advantageous? That's the degree of bendability that I'm talking about. I, I, will, I do think that Ted Cruz, the whole Washington cabal thing is is different than sort of coming off as a truth teller. I mean, a Washington. I don't. First of all, he would argue, and I'm not going to argue. He's only been in the Senate for a few years. Uh, he has been nothing but a headache. It's a big badge of honor. You know, John McCain, who'd been in the Senate for you know, dozens of years, used to campaign for president on not being elected, miscongeniality because right. straight he's, talk express, straight talk express, big pain in everyone's butt, and it's a big point of pride. And it was a big selling point for him. And so, yeah, and again, it's nothing new either. I mean, it's sort of the yeah. fetishization of either the pain in the ass or the amateur in the case of someone like you know, Herman Cain, uh, Michelle Bachman, who- The you business know, person. The business person, right, or the neurosurgeon or, yeah. or, or Donald Trump or whoever, who, again, have their own metric of purity by, fa- by the fact that they have no experience and are not of that system at all. Well, right, and, and it just further exacerbates the gulf, too, right? You have Donald Trump out there insisting that Mexico like, pe- is sending its rapists over here, doubling down <laughs> on that effectively this weekend. And there is a share of the conservative electorate that is like, he's the only one telling the truth. Yeah. And that this kind of view becomes so entrenched that it becomes impossible to do things like pass comprehensive immigration reform. Because yeah. you have this this slice of the country that feels like they're the only ones that know the true truth right. and hold hostage anything that goes against that. Uh, I'd interviewed Ann Coulter. Um, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. And she was so excited that Donald Trump was picking up her talking points. This was one that she actually helped to originate. It had kind of been in the fever swamp for some time. But she she put this in this book that she just wrote and she sent a copy to the Donald and now she's like totally thrilled that he is promoting this. Completely wrong notion that, that immigrants commit crimes at higher rates than, than American-born Americans. I'd like to take a page from Marvel Comics and suggest that Donald um, Don Coulter, Donald Trump and Ann <laughs> Coulter and Ted Cruz all go to a specific like truth mountain of their own making. We could call it Mount Batty or whatever they called it in like Marvel Comics. And they can just do all their sort of truth telling and truth legislating from there for the people that want to live on their icy snow capped mountain. Yeah. And they can leave the rest of the country to people who actually Are want to see Are you guys watching change. the most recent season of The Bachelorette? 
No. Um, that would imply that I watched any other season of The Bachelorette. It is wonderful. And I especially recommend that you watch this season of The Bachelorette because it has a lot to say about politics. It really, really does. Because the woman who is The Bachelorette, the titular Bachelorette, she really is kind of actually a true believer in the game that she's playing. But she just keeps on making out with all these dudes and driving them crazy. And anyway... You know we what, should, Mark? The only truth teller, the only back. truth teller here is Annie Lowry because she just admitted <laughs> she, to watching and sort of thinking deeply about the Bachelorette. I think she needs it her is, own island or, or mountain. It is adjacent to the Ted it is Cruz. Basically, Trump a religious Colton. experience. And one there's some more of that Lowry truth telling. One that I will yeah. never have. Unvarnished opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is all the truth telling we can offer you this <laughs> week. If you like us. Please tweet it honestly from your heart in 140 characters or less at Pod for America. Or if you hate us, please tweet it dishonestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. More yeah, to the point. This can work both ways. Okay. That brings us to the last lap in this marathon we call Podcast for America. Time for our weekly lightning round, one we like to call If I Were in Charge. Annie, leader, truth teller. Why don't you kick it off? I've just changed mine. I want to see all of the presidential candidates pick a reality television show as their favorite and describe why it is their favorite. I want them to reflect on living in the media and presenting themselves as realistic to the media and as being real people and, you know, and and playing the character called Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton. I would like to see them do this very badly now. Interesting. You know what? If I were in charge... I would, for one week's time, appoint Brian Lamb of C-SPAN mm. to be our the president of all media. I was wow. talking about Brian Lamb the other day, and he is like maybe one of the only, if if only, person who is beyond reproach. At least what among about people. us? Well, besides us, you know what? Well, we, you are are all, we are all we are magnets reproach. for reproach. You know what? We are like so. <laughs> we are like a swamp. We are of despicable. Reproach. No, uh, but actually, you know what? I have a secondary. I have a one A. Well, if you were in charge, you'd be able to say if you were in charge twice. Huh? All right, I'll do. That's you know, I'll save it for next week. The I'll genie. Save it for next week. Yeah, you asked the because genie for a thousand wishes, Mark. I, I will. Um, I will hold off. I will actually wow. not deep tease for no, next week. No, no, no. Now you have to do it because now yeah, you kind of have to. Talk about being not beyond reproach. What's in that head of yours? No, I just think that every presidential candidate, like Hillary Clinton had, you know, however many thousand emails released last Mm -hmm. week, right? Every candidate must have to have 10 random emails from their personal accounts just sent onto some website, (laughs) completely random. (laughs) A computer would pick 10 and we would just sort of read 10 a day. We would learn so much. I think we're all trying to get at some deeper unvarnished truth. Yeah. And on that note, I'm following in this vein. I, Having just asked many very interesting people some very unconventional questions last week, I feel like the questions around policy at this stage in the game, they are not unimportant. But I asked a lot of, I asked Lindsey Graham and Grover Norquist and Valerie Jarrett questions from the Vanity Fair Proust questionnaire Mm. and also some very simple questions from Facebook like Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus or, Mm -hmm. you know, what what keeps you up at night? And I tell you something, I learned more about them and who they are and sort of got a window into their genuine self than almost any other question I've asked of a politician in the last four years. It's a really good idea. You know, in the inside the actor's studio, when, when the guy is like, 
What James you, Lipton. What James, you sweet fear? James Lipton. Those are fantastic. What, they are incredibly. It is so thought provoking. Brian Lamb's interviews, these long form interviews, which are completely yeah. all over the map, are incredibly revelatory. That's what we need: informative interviews. I tell you, man, it was. If I were in charge, that would be the new format. On that self-aggrandizing note, that is all for Podcast for America. Thanks to our producer this week, Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please do let us know what you think of the show, the unvarnished truth. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people discover this, our show. For Annie Lowry and Mark Leibovich, and Mark Leibovich's lobster t-shirt, I'm Alex Wagner in New York City. We'll talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.